allow me to reintroduce myself. Now tuned into the greatest. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Supreme Decisions Legal Minute podcast. And this your host, Supreme Decisions. Today, I'm going to do something yet again, a tad bit different from the way I have been doing. Today, we're not going to have a whole bunch of commercials. I think we're just going to have the one at the beginning. I don't plan on doing any stopping, but it's pretty much taking on the tail of, I guess, last week's. So now we have something that we can look forward to. And pretty much today, I'm not going to rant like I did last week for two hours. You probably get a good hour out of me today, but it's not going to be a rant. It's actually going to be some learning. I'm going to drop a couple of Supreme Court cases in there. And I'm also going to give you something that deals directly with what we encounter a lot. But I'm also going to give you something that you might want to ask a question about. And that simple something is when can a police officer force someone to take a medical test? And that generally comes up because there was a question that, again, was asked to me in regards to blood draws from an unconscious person and a Supreme Court case. Well, here's the, here's the long and short of it. We talked about medical procedures in all three of the Roe v. Wade um, podcasts. I've done a couple videos on that, so I think we have firmly established that any type of medical procedure, there needs to be the actual consent given. Well, that is no different from the blood draws of a DUI stop. And understand the context of this will be DUI, but what you need to understand, or what I'm going to attempt to give you today, is the application beyond the DUI stop because just like I told you law is not subjective it's situational and you can find your exacts or your what is that clear evidence or clearly established baselines of why someone shouldn't do something according to Supreme Court cases or cases that have been decided and in the exacts, it can be done through this. And the case that I'm going to deal with today or begin with is Mitchell v. Wisconsin. And this actually goes back to something that was said to me at one point where um, I believe it was Dexter. He put in the comments that a traffic violation is a public safety issue. And I'm going to agree with Dexter on that 130,000 percent. Simply because drunk driving poses a significant threat to public safety. Because most of us know accidents happen for the lack of the ability to react with any significance. Whether it's hand-eye coordination when it comes to dealing with a uh, hitting the brakes, a sudden turn, or even a few other little antidotes. But we also come up with those factors of sometimes you have the instance of avoiding an accident simply by turning off, maybe to cause a lesser accident by hitting something that not necessarily 
be more damaging, but it's less damaging than the one that you're dealing with. And basically what we're going to get into is the constructs of why the person for a drunk driving stop is forced to take a warrantless blood draw and understanding the significance of it because it is a search and seizure. It's a Fourth Amendment issue. Because now anybody that knows anything about alcohol, most people know alcohol evaporates. People also know when it comes to your bloodstream, it metabolizes or metabolizes. You know, and at some point I'm going to learn the English language. But understanding this, it metabolizes. The longer it's in your system, the more likely you're going to do something like urinate and it's going to leave. And the more you urinate, the more it leaves. And in this state, those are one of the arguments that's used when it comes to the need or necessity for the warrantless blood draw. Because anytime you're going to have a I guess, intrusion on one's God-given rights. You know, the rights that the state can't give you. There must be something in writing, and there must be probable cause. That's what we're going to talk about today. Because even in this case, I'm going to talk about the unconscious driver that is involved in something where they're stopped and the necessity, even for them to be tested, is brought up but even in that environment you still have an option to challenge and have suppressed the draw why because it is still an intrusion you also have other defenses to it but getting into it is going to be for the everyday layman common person that I'm talking to and talking about today because through blood draws are Searches subject to the Fourth Amendment warrant requirements. And just like I had talked to you before, anytime there is an intrusion, it must be done with reason. It must be done with purpose. And it must be done in writing because they have something that is tangible. Because evidence might vanish in the time it takes to secure a warrant. Why? Because... The human body metabolizes alcohol. And as the longer you sit with or without the alcohol, without consuming it, without further consuming it in this case, it begins to dissipate, dissolve, disappear, become something else. So therefore, the evidence that they would use against you, because that's what it is, it's leaving. And the longer you sit with it, the less is going to be available to them. And the question in Mitchell v. Wisconsin was, if the drunk driver falls unconscious, requiring the officers to take the driver to the hospital before administering a breathalyzer, the officers may order a warrantless blood test to measure blood alcohol content. That was a question that was brought up in this case. And it was also one of those that was actually taken before the Supreme Court. And the decision came 
just like any other intrusion. It came with those huge words. If and or. All of those are within those conclusions. If and or. And the reason is because you want to understand the verbiage that's being used. Understand the statements that could be brought up. Because I'm even going to talk about the simple things or simple nuances that are done by police officers to, quote unquote, because they're so seldomly challenged or they're challenged incorrectly that most of them have no real clue on how they're going to be done or how it's done in a manner in which they can or will win. Because they try to use the driver being unconscious and not being able to complete a breathalyzer because you have to take a deep breath and then you have to exhale for some period of time. They use that as exigent circumstances because you know exigent circumstances what they're going to say is they're in the round in order to do something they know they are not allowed to do. And an officer later found that Mitchell was walking near a lake stumbling and slurring his speech with his van parked nearby. Now, there's the anomaly. Is it still drunk driving if you're not driving? Is it still a DUI if you're not operating a motor vehicle? Understand the verbiage. Understand what I'm saying to you. Is it still illegal activity? If the activity they say you are legal or culpable for, you're not participating in at the moment. Now, the reason why I bring that up is real easy. There was a young man that was asleep in a Wendy's drive-thru in Atlanta about a week ago. And in the midst of that, 35 minutes went by with casual conversation after the police officers got there and woke this young man up. In the midst of doing so, at that point, he wasn't driving because his advance was stopped. It was stationary. He was just asleep. He wasn't operating. And if you know anything about being behind the wheel of a conveyance, sleep is not operating. Now, in the midst of that, the police officers went and elevated or escalated the situation and therefore went back to using a taser on this young man, then saying that the taser itself was a deadly weapon, but it wasn't a deadly weapon when they originally used it, even though they had used it twice. But then they used the familiar phrase, I'm in fear for my life. But understanding that, these are things that are brought in because even whenever I'm talking about something as simple as this, the understanding of what is what, when it is. Because the context of what I tell you is the fact that police officers are not about law. Not at all. What they are about is simple. What they are about is very transparent and it's in your face. 
the easy of this is, will, and shall be the simplest of all facts. Their duty is not about law. It's the enforcement of policy to generate revenue. That is the only reason you will have someone that is outside of a conveyance and attempting to charge them with operating that said conveyance when they are not operating that said conveyance. That is the only reason you will escalate a situation where someone is asleep, not operating the conveyance, to the point to which you are looking to draw your gun to kill them. That's it. Because it has nothing to do with law, especially when your first job to the people that you swore that you would do, your contract with the people is to preserve life. That's your first job. Preserve life. That's it. That's the one thing that you do. The problem is the training. The first thing they do is fear for theirs. They place themselves in a position of authority and in a hierarchy to which they are not a part of. You've taken yourself and made a judgment that you are going to be a servant, but you're choosing not to serve. That is the issue. Because when you're looking at something in the instance of the Utah case, and what I mean by the Utah case is there was a young man by the name of Jeff Payne. Jeff Payne was made famous because he was fired because he didn't follow the law. And then he said last year, even after being fired, even after being noted that he did not follow department guidelines, Jeff Payne, who went to a hospital, who, uh, who tried to encourage a nurse to break the law. This nurse refused to, one, violate this person's privacy, two, refused to violate this person's health, integrity, or life by drawing blood because they were not unconscious and the cop wanted to be lazy and circumvent his duties, the, Jeff Payne arrested this nurse. Jeff Payne lost his pension. Jeff Payne cost the city of Utah, or the state of Utah, $2.3 million. Jeff Payne tried to get his job back. Jeff Payne is the reason we need police reform. Jeff Payne is the reason I did the podcast on last week. Please reform. Jeff Payne is one of those reasons. Because at the end of the day, police are only allowed their minimum amount of force necessary to protect themselves and to bring the suspect into custody. So when you're looking at the fact that, one, if Jeff Payne had simply made a phone call prior to transporting, by the time he had gotten to the hospital, Jeff Payne could have possibly had a warrant. I'll say that one more time. Because it was necessary for Jeff Payne to take this person to the hospital. It's also necessary for Jeff Payne to have made a phone call for a warrant. Because again, he doesn't have to have it written. They have these things called computers now. Because I have an iPad. I haven't used that an actual pen or pencil in years. He's able to type something and hit send. A judge is able to open their email and sign it right there and hit send. You don't hear me. 
But Japan chose not to do that and then said he would do it again, even though he knew it was wrong and against department policies and against the law and then it cost him money. These are the things that we also need to understand. These are the things that we need to challenge. Because even in this situation, when you're looking at the tactics that are being used, they're going to be used against everyone. They're going to be used with impunity. And one of the things they attempt to use if you don't challenge it is this thing called implied consent. Now, I'm going to go a little deeper into that one real quick, simply because I had a conversation with a young man, and he asked, it was an interesting question, because what he spoke about was policy. And he spoke about the contract that you sign when you go and get a state ID or a driver's license. Those were the conversations that he was having. And I actually thought they were very interesting simply because most people don't know. Simply because that's the reason I have a channel because most people don't know. And what he spoke about was the unilateral contract that they have when you sign your driver's license contract or to get it, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But it reeks of implied consent. You consent to this. You consent to that. You consent to walking around with a green hat. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's very elementary, but at the same time, there is nothing in it that does allow for an automatic traffic stop. It does not allow for automatic consents. It does not allow for automatic compliance. Just understand that. While there are stats of if you're not challenging, it's called implied consent because you're not challenging. But if you do challenge it, it is not allowed because they'll never bring it up because they can't. I'm going to say that one more time. They'll never bring it up because they can't. Because it's not allowed. No matter what's done, no matter what you have in your pocket, there's always a challenge. That is why people hate actual defense attorneys. Because when they go in there, they go in there with a thousand paper cuts. Because they challenge each and every aspect of police procedure. That's why police don't like them, because you can't be lazy. One of my favorite people, I'm going to get back on subject in a minute. One of my favorite people I even told you guys was Bayard Ellis from Law & Order. Andrew Browder. Now, the thing people hated about Andrew Browder or Bayard Ellis was the fact that Bayard Ellis was thorough. I'm going to say that one more time. Bayard Ellis was thorough. Because he didn't take on a whole bunch of cases, he took on one at a time. The reason he took on one at a time is because you have to put in the time to get the W. You can't take on 30 and 40 cases and think you're going to be able to put two and a half weeks of work into each one of those cases and be successful. And to be prevalent at what you need to be prevalent at. Understand that. He took on cases to win. It didn't matter what the case was. Once he took it on, he understood that they've been doing wrong so long they think it's right. And it was also something that was brought up, and I went back and started watching Chicago Justice. And the one thing that was amazing to me was the fact that there was a um, prosecutor. He was actually doing a challenge. He was challenging the U.S. government. And 
People are like, well, why wouldn't they do that? Because I will always do this because truth prevails. The question that was posed to him was, if you are looking for the truth, why is it you don't turn your information over to the defense? And yes, I pause for dramatic effect because I want you to catch that. They're not going to turn everything over. I constantly tell you that. Why? Because it's not about truth. It's not about law. It's about revenue. Because if it was about truth and it was about law, why aren't they turning everything over? Why are they hiding video? Why are they hiding audio? Why is there laws against them holding on to things? Why? Why is that? There's literally case law, multiple cases, where you cannot be withheld information. And if one of the things that we're being penalized for is information, why is it that they're holding on to it and then we're supposed to be okay with them holding on to it? And the great part about this is the simple fact that when you go into and you look at these aspects and you look at the unconscious drivers are presumed to have consented to blood draw. When you look at the implied consent that is labeled into contracts, when you look at the things that are set forth and laid out, you then begin to understand what it is that your job is. And that's simply to stay focused. Go after any and everything that's in front of you. This is how you eat. This is how you make sure things are done the right way. Because just like I said, blood draws are searches. Because if you are forced to give a blood sample, you refuse to incriminate yourself or remain silent. Is the absence of exigent circumstances or of a warrant that is supported by probable cause, it is illegal. I'm going to say that one more time. If you are forced to give blood sample because you refuse to incriminate yourself or you remain silent, absent exigent circumstances or a warrant, it is illegal because, again, it has to be supported by probable cause. Probable cause only comes from a crime. A crime only deals with damage to personal property. Why? Because in order for someone to have standing against you, they have to have an injury that can be addressed directly linked to you now i'm going to say something because a lot of you may not have remembered but last year i did a i guess a psa or a broadcast where i spoke against drunk driving and some of the ills of it and what i'm going to do now is i'm going to read something and in the reading of this i'm going to leave a couple of things open and the thing I'm going to leave open is the actual understanding of where it is that I'm coming from because I know for uh, from the vantage point that most people will have right now it'll seems as if I am speaking up for drunk driving and that is absolutely not the case because drunk driving takes a grisly toll on America's roads and claiming thousands of lives injuring many more victims and inflicting billions of dollars in property damage every year now as a person that has once driven drunk has a person that has also been involved in an accident while intoxicated 
Also, being a person that has lost someone from someone being impaired while driving, I am one that also understands that I did a PSA a couple days ago where I speak about justice. And as justice is for all, and it doesn't matter who it is, and it's just a matter of understanding that I'm looking for one thing and one thing only. And if I'm going to ask somebody to do their job properly, I need to also ask those that uphold our laws to actually do the exact same thing. If I'm going to ask them to do their job properly, I also have to fight for those or fight with those that are out there exercising their God-given rights. I may not agree with each one of those stances that anyone takes. I often have disagreements with people that have great intentions. But at the end of the day, as long as you're coming factually and you're coming justly, I don't have an issue with it. We can always disagree and go about our way as long as we have some sensibility in what it is that we're disagreeing on. So understand the fact that I am not advocating for drunk driving. In fact, I am the exact opposite of that. I am for proper policing. I am for those that have a, an opportunity to challenge those that are looking to oppress you because our current judicial system is horribly flawed and I do encourage each and every person to stand up throw down and be ready to die for this if they have to now I often quote that because that is the only way that you get respect because a lot of people use the words oh I want uh, why don't you give me respect respect isn't given respect is earned People don't like me because I'm a nice person. People like me because they're able to tolerate me. Because they understand, they see where I can see. They can understand that I have a vision of where I'm going. And they understand I have a plan of getting there. But at the end of the day, they understand that whether they're part of my plan or not a part of my plan, the plan is going to continue and it's a just plan. They don't have to support it. They don't even have to be for it, but they understand that it's just and it's going to move with or without them. That's how respect is earned because I don't need someone else to become successful. I don't need anyone else to pat me on the back and say, this is what you do. What I need is one thing and one thing only, and that's the ability to continue moving forward and also continue challenging the system we call the justice system. So understanding that when we're talking about this case itself, we're talking about how in the Mitchell case, under the law, drivers who operate vehicles in Wisconsin's public highways are deemed to have given consent to blood, urine, and breath testing, and unconscious drivers are presumed not to have withdrawn consent. Now, understanding something that uh again it's something i'm gonna get into later because it's one of those where we're looking at the fact of how statutes are considered constitutional but 
what we're going to rely on at this moment is the selective incorporation doctrine. Because, again, when you're talking about a medical procedure such as drawing blood, which that is, whether you like it or not, because it requires a medical professional to do it properly. Because not someone that's half-ass trained, not someone that's in training. You need a medical professional. It requires someone with skill. That's why police officers cannot do it at the scene. Because it requires someone that is specialized in a skill to withdraw the blood. But now, whenever we talk about these things, that goes into a Roe v. Wade type of conversation. That also goes into a Fifth Amendment privacy issue because you have the right to remain private in your person and those things that are going into And as well as what they're searching for is incrimination or incriminating evidence, which would be what they're going to use against you in a court, not a court of law. That's up to you to put it there. But they're going to use that in court against you. So you are required to be silent against self-incrimination. Those things are all what you're challenging with this. So that's why police are not given the unilateral decision-making ability outside of your consent or the consent of a judge because they actually have a complaining witness that has a fairly traceable injury to those or actions that you may or may not have taken part in. And I'm going to get into a couple of cases. And one is um, Schumburg v. California and Missouri v. McNeely. And I talked about McNeely once before. But understanding the fact that I'm not going to go deep into either one of those cases. I'm just going to give you a kind of an overview. But part of the overview in... Schember v. California is the fact it's the degree of urgency that can justify a warrantless blood testing. And basically, what happened is Justice Alito proceeded to lay out the general standard for exigency exception. Basically, it gave you the circumstance. Remember, I told you it goes into some things that we know are the biggest words in law. And part of that is under the exception for exigent circumstances, a warrantless search is allowed when there is compelling need for official action and no time to secure a warrant. Now, you're going to hear me as I go along, and I'm going to go deeper into this, and I'm going to give you something that allots for that time, that's allotting for that challenge. But when you're understanding the position of this, it goes into Mally v. Briggs, which is a 1986 case, which you heard me speak about multiple times. And for those that are following on, it's Mally v. Briggs, 475 U.S. 335 in 1986. And it is a sound presumption that the magistrate is more qualified than the police officer to make a probable cause determination. That is why you have to force them to get the warrant, unless you give them consent, because they are not qualified to make a probable cause decision. Yes, I pause for dramatic effect because I want you to understand that. Mally V. Briggs addressed the officer making a pre-probable <laughs> cause decision. They're not qualified to do it 
or not more qualified to do it than a judge, which is why is a requirement. Because, again, we talk about how they're uneducated. We're looking at and watching and viewing how untrained they are. Or are we viewing what they are trained for, which is not law? See, those are great questions to ask. Because either one, the answer of it is just tremendous because it will give you some insight to something. But when you know that these people are uneducated, they are actually in the uniform because they're easily controlled, but they're uneducated. But then we know that they are not even qualified to make a probable cause decision without a magistrate or your permission. Again, this was decided in 1986. And this is why you challenge that, because if you don't give consent and they don't offer an opportunity to go do the other part, they didn't do their job because that is a part of their duty that they swore to do. They made a choice. They chose to do that. You didn't tell them, hey, go be a police officer so you cannot do what you're supposed to do. They made a conscious decision to do the job, but they're also making a conscious decision not to do it properly. Just like when we spoke about Jeff Payne, he made a conscious decision that he continued to stand behind and stated he would do again knowing it was wrong. So again, that is something that is innate. You have to understand how that is affecting everyone and how it affects everything. Now, police must be able to accurately and promptly test the blood alcohol content of a suspected drunk driver. Now, and since alcohol dissipates in the bloodstream over time, their enemy is itself time. Because the longer it takes for them to actually get a warrant or consent means the longer or less amount of the blood alcohol they're going to find if they're able to get it. Now, what I want you to understand something is what you have a lot of times is the, mo the movie Minority Report. Because what police are trying to do with these roadblocks and DUI stops and these checkpoints and even swerving, they're looking for reasons to, one, stop a crime before it happens. Like they are one of the precogs and they're Tom Cruise and they're coming out to get you. But I'm, I'm going to say something. If you ever noticed in that movie, Minority Report, the precogs actually prevented crimes. They didn't prevent jaywalking. They didn't prevent speeding. They didn't prevent things such as suicide. They prevented actual bodily harm to others. They prevented actual damages to others' property. You know, where there will be a complaining witness. I just wanted to throw that in because, again, when we're talking about drunk driving and there has yet to be an accident, where there has yet to be someone else that can actually testify and say, hey, this person injured me, either via property damage or personal damage, what, what are we talking about? Because those are the things that we're talking about as, hell, that's why I say challenge it because, again, if I can just walk up and say that you did something and then you have to pay for it, that's not justice. That has nothing to do with truth. 
Because every time you I say something, you have to pay for it. That doesn't make it equal. That's not written anywhere. That's not just. So a damn sure can't be just us. So understanding that, and even when we're talking about the sobriety test as evidence against you, you have the right to not participate in self-incrimination. And the use of force to coerce that compliance is illegal. So when you're in places such as California, because again, I'm picking on California for this because I know this is a place where they do automatic blood drives. And I do believe um, Nevada does urine. Because again, there's nobody that they can actually say this person was injured. But these are the things we are at war against. These are the things which we're trying to stop because nobody's going out here working 40, 80 plus hours a week to hand it over to someone that has no benefit for them. I'm going to say that again. Because if I'm giving you a service and I'm aiding you in your ability to have these overblown budgets where, again, when you hear people say, oh, well, I wish police officers were paid more. No, I wish I got the money for the police officer that we are paying a hundred plus thousand dollars. Because if you look at a lot of these police officers, when their starting pay is over $40,000 a year, do I think that's fair? Yeah, because if I look at a welder, their starting pay is less than $40,000 a year. When I look at someone that builds a home, their starting pay is less than $30,000 a year. So. Yeah, you're putting your life on the line, but you're making a choice. You're going in knowing you're putting your life on the line for $40,000. So when people say, oh, I wish police were making more money, no. I wish that if they were making $100,000, they behaved as if they were making $100,000. I'm going to say that one more time. If they're making six figures, I wish they would behave as if they were making six figures. I wish they thought as if they were making six figures. The problem is we're handing those that are unintelligent money for that which they can't. You know what? I'm going to give you a great example of that. Because I was told this a hundred times and I didn't know what it meant until it bit me in the ass. Now, when I was 18, 19 years old, I was blessed to be in the company of a lot of professional basketball players. Such as Chris Whitney, Darrell Armstrong, Frankie King. Ed Elisma, um, Stephon Marbury, Travis Best, James Forrest. These guys, I, hell, Jeff Shepard, Ron Mercer. I can go through a list of guys that were, that were in my corner. Going to my boy Woodbury that went to Kansas. These guys helped mold me into something. The problem was I'm 6'4". Six, 6'4 four. Six, four and a half barefoot. That's all. That's, I'm not getting any bigger. That's it. That's all I had. I had a 40-plus inch vertical, and I could shoot the lights out. The problem was I knew I had a 40-inch vertical. I knew I could shoot the lights out. And my attitude was just as stank as it could be. And I do mean it the way I just said it was stank. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was Pepe Le Pew funky. It was sitting in the garage soaking wet in the corner mildewed up for a month and a half, funky. That's how bad my attitude was. The problem was my talent took me to places my character 
didn't allow me to stay. What we have when we have people that are not educated to a level in which that is necessary for them to be making six figures. And you're giving them these positions and this imaginary power. They don't know how to deal with it because they've earned, they've not earned the position that they're in. They're given it. I'm going to say that one more time. They haven't earned the position that they're in. It was given to them. These roles need to be filled by those that can actually perform the jobs. Uh-oh. I think I just said something. I think I did. Because we're giving people roles that they are unable to fill sufficiently. And the problem is you have a lot of people around them that are yes men, no men. Yes, sir, boss, and we, we agrees with you. And nobody wants to correct their behavior. Because we talk about how bad CEOs are when they have a bunch of yes men. Because they don't have anybody that challenges them. They don't have anybody that allows them to go to another level. You don't have iron sharpening iron. You have a bunch of people that just agreeing. You have a bunch of people that are saying, you know what? You right. I'm going to say that you right. No. You can't grow if every time you say something, you're right. If no one ever challenges you, you know what? I'm going to say this. A lot of people looked at Floyd Mayweather. They didn't like him. And the reason why was because Floyd was flashy. Floyd went out and did a job because he had one thing in mind. Everybody else had, had things of dethroning him. And one of the things he talked about, everybody had a plan until they got punched in the mouth. Then you saw who they were. I recently watched Floyd fight against um, Shane Mosley. I listened to something Nasheen Richardson said. He said that what's going to happen is everybody thinks Floyd is soft. They think he's pretty. He's not going to do anything. He said what's going to happen is this. Shane's going to crack Floyd. Floyd's going to turn into a dragon and start spitting fireballs. I'm going to show Shane how to deal with Floyd spitting fireballs. He said, because the boy is the truth. Now, St. Richardson said that about Floyd Mayweather. Now, the reason why no one liked him is because Floyd, the last time anybody saw that dragon was against Arturo Gotti. They saw a glimpse of it with Victor Ortiz. But what Floyd had in mind was, I'm not going in there to knock you out. I'm going in there to win, and I'm going in there to get a big paycheck. That's it. He didn't care how it looked. He didn't care what he had to do. He just went in to get to W. He didn't go in there to knock you out. He went in there to put on a show and to win. That's it. People didn't like that because they're not understanding that it's not gladiator battling. That's not what Floyd was a part of. He was a part of the sweet science. No one likes defense attorneys because, again, when they're doing their job, no one likes them because they're not going in there to have a gladiator battle. They're going in with a thousand paper cuts. They're going in to chip, chip, chip. Because, just like I told everybody else, the most difficult thing that you have is they have to convince 12 people. I need one. It's easier to convince one person what I'm painting than it is to convince 12. 
and whoever's accusing me, they have to convince 12. So that way when they're striking that brush, they have to be perfect. I got to be Deontay Wilder. Because that was another thing that they talked about Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury fought Deontay Wilder knowing I just can't get hit with that right hand. Deontay Wilder told him, hey, you got to be perfect 12 rounds. I got to be perfect one second. In the first fight, we almost saw perfection. Because both times that Tyson Fury got knocked down, he didn't get hit with the right hand. He got hit with the left hand. In fact, the last knockdown was the left hook. He didn't get hit with the right hand. So in the second fight, we saw perfection elevated. Because not only did he not get hit with the right hand, he did not get hit with that left hook either. And he was able to go beyond where we had thought he could be at. And that's one of the things that you have to do when you're doing this. You have to go beyond what you see is coming. You have to know what's in front of you before you can actually step down and actually lay out your plan. That's what this is. It's setting up a focal point for you to actually plant your feet, stand up, and be willing to throw down for this. Because if you don't do it, your liberty is going to be what you're losing. Because if you give up one, you're going to have to give up two. And when you give up two, they're going to come and take three and four. We're watching this done on a daily basis without regard, without any challenges. And that's what I'm kind of give to you. Giving you a means of challenging. Giving you a means of looking at what's bigger. Because even though I'm talking about a subject I really don't want to talk about, I'm giving you something because even in this situation, if it's not done correctly, I don't feel you should be punished for it. Because I am for justice, no matter who's it for, as long as it's done justly. That's the whole purpose of everything that I'm doing. That's the entirety of everything that I'm saying. This is what I want you to take away from this every time I stand up. Every time you listen. Every time you watch. These are the things that I'm trying to give you. And I want you to know that that's where we're heading with this. Because we're getting better and we're getting to a point to where I think the understanding is going to change just slightly. Because even when we're talking about the blood alcohol content and is as its evidence is dissipating, some other factors create pressing health, safety, and law issues. Need for or would take priority or over a warrant application. And the great thing about that is something I'm gonna get into later because those are kind of those, what can I do if? How can I challenge if? And again, that'll be in cases such as Perez v. Campbell, or I can't even understand this, is Birchman or Birchfield v. North Dakota. These are 2016 cases. One's a 1971 case. But the, the preservation of evidence is at the scene. Those are things that you also need to take into account even for a DUI stop. This is why you get the police report. That's why you also, if you heard me talk about the um, discovery, you're getting a copy of the scene or evidence report. Why? Because, or the evidence log. You want things such as the chain of custody because all of those things need to be challenged. Why? Because I spoke about it earlier. Time. Because their argument, their entire argument for exigent circumstances is going to be time. 
your easiest challenge is time. And guess what? When you start involving secondary, third parties, and guess what? Hospitals have video. You can actually get those videos immediately. When you leave, before you even ask for the first one, you can ask for the hospital video. And again, when you're asked for that, be specific. Because all you want is the time you got there and the time you left. Because at the end of the day, those are what the challenges are going to be. Because if there's a discrepancy in that time window, and we know the police officers often create a narrative for just those situations. Now, if there is a discrepancy from what you're looking at versus what was written, they can't argue with themselves. That is the one thing that you need to pay attention to. That is the one thing that you also need to understand. As it's laid out, it gives you an instant W. Those are the things that are basically helping you get what you need to get to. And also, forcing police to put off other tasks in favor of seeking a warrant for even a relatively short period of time may have terrible collateral cost. Because again, time is their enemy. Because you often heard me say that. When you're doing your filings, time is not your friend. Time is not their friend when you're talking about the dissipation or metabolization of, which I don't even know if that's a word, the metabolizing of alcohol in one's bloodstream. This is the one thing that they don't have the luxury of. Because the more time they take, the less evidence they're going to have. And here's the greater part. The, exigence, um, the exigency exception almost always covers instances in which a suspected drunk driver, unconscious or a stupor, requires him to be taken to a hospital or similar facility before police have a reasonable opportunity to administer a standard evidentiary breathalyzer. Because keep in mind, I, I talked about the transporting to a hospital. That's something that's got to be done. And they even used the word stupor because, again, that's something that happens because we're looking at the young man that was in um, Atlanta. We're looking at even Mitchell in this case. They were in the middle of stupors. They weren't driving. Yes, they were intoxicated. Let's not even, let's not even trip like that's not what happened. They were intoxicated, both instances. But at the same time, neither one of them was operating the conveyance. Neither one of them was operating or driving under the influence. One was sleep in a sleep in a Wendy's drive-through. The other was literally walking around at a lake. Yes, he could have harmed himself, but he hadn't. He could have harmed others had he drove, but he didn't. Could the young man that at Wendy's could he have harmed somebody had he decided to drop? Yes, absolutely. Was he driving to get there? Yeah, he did. He's done that. However, unless they're precogs and they can see into the future which means they're not going to be police officers because that's going to, I would say the IQ on that would be a little astronomical. And we know they have cutoff limits. But understanding if that's not the case, you cannot predict the future. That's why they're not allowed to use hunches. That's why they're not allowed to guess. Hell, they can't even make a determination on probable cause. So why are we now giving them the authority to do anything beyond that? And you must also understand a warrantless blood draw of an unconscious driver might even violate the Fourth Amendment. Now, most people have, even the context of even this is one of those where religious practice comes in because if you are a practicing Jehovah Witness, now a lot of times 
you won't know that unless there is something or some type of paraphernalia that's within either on your person or within your conveyance that will be actually known or something that can be brought up during the suppression hearing. So just keep those in mind because at the end of the day, just because you're doing something, there still has to be a reasonable action that is done by the police officer or officers that are involved. And the imminent destruction of evidence is always a risk, regardless of whether the additional factors that the plurality pointed to are at present. Once a police officer has probable cause to believe a driver is drunk, the destruction of evidence alone is sufficient to justify a warrantless search based on exigent circumstances. Now, keep in mind the stop itself is not probable cause. And the cause itself to justify anything beyond officer discretion is the question that you need to ask. Because again, it is a conscious choice. Because I've shown you, Mally V. Briggs, they are not qualified to make a probable cause determination. Unless you give them consent, they need the signature from a judge. That's not your words, that's not my words. That is the actual law. That is the case law. That is a Supreme Court decision law. The supreme law of the land. So that there is no categorical exigency exception for blood draws. So understand, even though you had a Supreme Court case that says the only thing that can be a question is if the person is unconscious. Why? Because you can't have consent or non-consent. But if there's a medical procedure done, you're going to have something in court that's going to be called inevitable discovery. But generally, if there is a medical procedure that's performed on a drunk driver that is unconscious, it is a great chance that that person has either hit somebody or hit something. So damage to a person, damage to property. Those are crimes. Those are the probable cause needed, not the actual stop itself, because we know that the DUI checkpoints are illegal. So I'm going to say that one more time, because we know the DUI checkpoints are illegal. So if they're stopping you for swerving, which I even did a um, video on that, swerving for even 60 yards is not illegal. Because if that's the case, half of the people in El Paso and South Carolina, they be getting tickets every day. Why? Because they can't drive straight. They held. I even got a partner of mine. I call him a floater because that's how he rides. He floats from lane to lane. Not because he wants it. It's because his equilibrium is off. He can't look straight. You know, and at the end of the day, the police have time to secure a warrant before the blood draw. The Fourth Amendment mandates they do so. Because you remember I talked about their initial stop with Jeff Payne, the Utah man. The dude that wanted the nurse to violate someone's personal liberty. And she refused to do it. Why? Because the person wasn't unconscious. The person did not consent. And Jeff Payne did not have a warrant. And Jeff Payne refused to do his job properly. This is what that talks about, because I told you, 
Jeff Payne has a computer. Jeff Payne on the ride. Or, here's the greater part about that. Jeff Payne is transporting. There was a second officer on the scene. The second officer can do paperwork to get a warrant. Yes, I just paused for dramatic effects. Now, here's the great, greater section of this whole thing. When have you ever seen a traffic stop that only had one officer that lasted more than 10 minutes? Don't worry, I'll wait. Because, yes, again, I pause for dramatic effect because I want you to take that into... Just, 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 just let it soak in a little deeper. Because there is time for the warrant. Their choice is not to get one. Why? Because they're looking to circumvent their duties. Why? Because 95% of people will not challenge it. Just like I talked about the paralegal. He actually was like, well, yeah, it's a speeding ticket, so we're not even going to challenge that. Why not? Because there are so many aspects that can be challenged. I literally did a live video speaking about the multiple challenges of each one of the aspects of the methods of speeding. That was just the methods. We hadn't even gone into the actual constructs of chain of custody. We hadn't even gone into the how the uh, machinery works, what the officer's part in it was, the human error part of it. We haven't even gone into all that. I gave you one, one little creak into the door. These are the things that you need to take in mind. These are the reasons why people hate defense attorneys. This is the reason why bullies hate people standing up for themselves. Because the second you start standing up, it's now a fight. It's no longer me going in there getting punched in the face. It's also I'm getting punched back. Because if I'm going and throwing some punches and I'm not getting anything back, I'm going to keep doing that. But if I'm receiving a few back, guess what I'm going to start doing? Not fighting. I got to find somebody else. If you want them to leave you alone, stand up and start fighting back. That's how you fight it back. And then you understand that in many drunk driving cases, officers do have time to secure a warrant. When officers suspect someone of drunk driving, they typically must transfer him or her to a medical facility in order to gather blood alcohol content evidence. Why? Because I told you that the blood itself is evidence against you. That is self-incrimination if you allow it. If they get a warrant for it, then it is what it is because it's probably because there's damage to person, damage to property. And the built-in delay, they may be time to seek a warrant because, again, just like I talked about Jeff Payne, he had the option to type and hit send. He chose not to. His partner that was also on the scene had the option to type and hit send. He chose not to. And then they wanted someone else to circumvent their foolishness. And when it didn't happen, they threw a tantrum. But then they was expecting that tantrum to be okayed by another justice. And no one corrected anybody's behavior. I'm going to say that one more time. No one corrected anybody else's behavior. That is the problem that we all have. That's what the difference is. Now, understanding alcohol does dissipate in the bloodstream gradually and predictably. Because, again, the greatest enemy in a DUI stop or an intoxication stop is time. 
And it brings me up to a man on fire. One greatest line that was in that was, I wish you had more time. Because even in those instances, time is not only your friend, but it's their enemy. Now, just like I spoke about, the enemy of my enemy is not my friend, but it's a tool that I use to defeat them both. Now, Father Time is undefeated. Father Time rolls on regardless. Mother Nature takes her course. These are things that you cannot change. These are things that you have very little control over. But you can participate in them because you can understand how to use them in your favor. Because even when you looked at the incident with the young man in Atlanta, they spoke to him for 38 minutes. So if he was drunk, he was damn near sober by the time they was finished because he was less than 200 pounds. I'm going to say that one more time. Even if he was dead drunk, he was sober by the time they started with the extra because they talked to him for more than 38 minutes. He was well rested. But time had also dissipated the amount of alcohol that was in his system. That was one of the things that they screwed up on. And then when they tased him, he probably pissed on himself. So it's a good chance that the rest of the alcohol went on up out of him. Because at the end of the day, Mother Nature is going to run its course. Father Time is going to keep doing what Father Time do because it's undefeated and you're not going to change it. And understanding self, a statue itself cannot create the actual and informed consent that the Fourth Amendment requires. Exigent circumstances cannot be waived because any time there is a waiver of a constitutional right, it must be done in writing. I've said this once, I've said this twice, I've said this a thousand times. Because understanding it must be conscious, knowing, and willing. If you're going to give it up, it must be conscious, it must be knowing, and must be done willfully. Or the statue itself does not stand according to the selective incorporation doctrine. I'm going to say that one more time. The selective incorporation doctrine. Because I'm saying it so much, I'm getting tired of hearing it. I just want you to understand that. I'm saying it so much, I am tired of hearing me say it. Because the little nuances that are available to us, if we're not going to take advantage of them, if we're not going to fight back, you're wasting your time listening, you're wasting your time watching, you're wasting your time, you know what, because you're probably not donating, so I'm not even going to get into that. But I do appreciate those that are taking that extra step, going that extra mile, that's doing what's necessary to not only stay safe, but to continue to be safe, to stand up for what's right, to stand up for what's theirs, to stand up for what is the correction that's needed. Let's let's call it that, the correction. Now, police have probable cause to believe that a driver is drunk and the driver is unconscious and unable to complete a breathalyzer and heading to a medical facility anyway. Because remember, I talked about inevitable discovery. Those are the exceptions. Because if they're going to draw blood because they're going to the hospital anyway and there was a crime because there was either an accident where a person was hit or property was damaged, it's going to be seen anyway. 
that's when they don't need a warrant. When there's just a stop, when it's just a stop, for whatever reason, beyond damage to person, damage to property, they need a warrant or consent from you. Anything beyond that is illegal. Because I'm going to read that one more time. Police have probable cause to believe that a driver is drunk. The probable cause, I'm going to say that the probable cause only comes from a crime. Now, they can smell. Notice it don't say anything about smelling it. Now, but probable cause can come from an open container and a smell. I was, I was, open container and a smell. If one's breath smells as if they've been taking shots and there's a three-quarter empty bottle of Jack Daniels on the um, car seat, yeah, there's a good chance that they were drinking the Jack Daniels that's on the car seat. There's a good chance of that. But let's say outside of that, what are, what are we looking at? Because, again, we're looking at the precogs in Minority Report. Are they telling the future? Because I, you know what? Everybody knows I've been doing a couple videos or whatever, and I put in 50 Cent. I love 50 Cent. And one of 50 songs that I play constantly, I know my nieces are getting tired of it, is I won't let them people frisk me if I'm dirty, homie. I can't let them people frisk me if I'm dirty, homie. The greatest part about that is the fact that he didn't say how he was not going to let them people frisk him if he was dirty. He just let you know something was going to happen if he was dirty and the people were not going to frisk him. When you're talking about these instances, you have to understand the context of what needs to be done because even if you're caught, say, you know what, damn it, they crossed all their I's and uh, dotted all their I's and crossed all their T's, what do I have left? You still have a challenge. Cause I'm about to get into those challenges. That's what I told you I was going to do at the beginning, right? We're going to talk about some things. We're going to get into some things. And the first one, the police have probable cause that someone has committed a drunk driving offense. They have probable cause that they did it. We don't, we don't know what, exactly what that is. But again, probable cause only comes from a crime. So it has to be something that's tangible. Keep that in mind. Two. The driver's unconscious requires that he or she be taken to a medical facility before the police can administer an evidentiary breath test. Why? Because everything that you do at that stop means you're giving up privacy. You're giving up the means of, no, I'm not going to participate. You're going to disregard all those things that you know is necessary for that to happen. And you're going to know everything that you do at that stop will be held against you, including your name, which is why you don't have to give it unless they state a crime, which is why they've gone to Gestapo attackers of damaging your property. Why? Because most people are just happy to get the hell out of there without being killed. I'm going to say that one more time. They damage your property because most people are happy to get out of the situation without being killed and then we go into number three the driver's blood will be drawn anyway because you remember i just talked about the inevitable discovery why because in that case this is something where the driver's health 
a lawful need. Those are things. Remember, I said those a couple of minutes ago. But I talked about that's where this comes into play. Because they're going to get it anyway. Because you've got to go to the hospital. It's not even a choice. You've got to go. Because you've damaged person, damaged property. And number four, police regularly judge that a warrant application will interfere with other pressing needs. The only other pressing need is that they need to tape off a crime scene. Why? Because generally there is somebody that has been killed in that section. And they are not the ones transporting. I'm going to say that one more time. Because there has been other damage and they are not the ones transporting. That's what that need would come from. And understanding the question of whether someone has given legally valid consent to a search is one of fact to be determined from the totality of circumstances. This is why whenever you do a waiver of any right, it must be done in writing. And this comes from Schernitzlock v. Bustamante. And it's a 1973 case. I will probably put this up because I, spelling it will take me an hour. But again, these are things that go into the implied consent theory. Because court's avoidance of the implied consent arguments was very of the norm. Nobody wants to actually say that you gave implied consent because you have a driver's license. Even though that's what they want you to believe, because you have that license, you've given consent. They know if they get into that, it then becomes a different animal. Because, again, the legal ramifications, if you're stating that this contract I'm signing is for implied consent of anything that has to intrude on a constitutionally protected act, it then becomes something else. So always keep that in mind. And the blood alcohol evidence is dissipating because we talk about it. And this is one thing that keeps coming up. Metabolization, the dissipation, the body is absorbing this alcohol. It's going because time, time. I wish you had more time. And other factors that create a pressing health, safety, or law enforcement need that were priority over a warrant application. And here's the greater part, because again, these are things I talk about when you challenge a warrant. Because when you're challenging the lack of a warrant, is the police must demonstrate the existence of some health, safety, or law enforcement need when they encounter a suspect. This is when you would use the scene law to challenge time. Even in the roles of chain of evidence. Because again, that scene log becomes hella important. It becomes one of the key factors in any one of your challenges. Because again, there are certain things that you're going to lose. Go into them knowing you're going to lose them. Don't even worry about it. Because it's not the battle that you're concerned with. You're concerned with the war. That's what I train you for. I train you for the war, not the battles. Nobody cares about the battles. I'm trying to get you ready for war. You know, because 
I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you one of the one of the great things about it because again you hear me talking about the fights or whatever and I I can go through fighters I can go through a litany of fighters in just a matter of seconds, but it's understanding what my favorite combat sport or martial art is, and for me, it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And the reason I love it is because when I look at somebody, one of my friends, he actually practiced Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. If anybody don't know who that is, they are considered the family, the highest level practitioners of jiu-jitsu. And when you're talking about them, they have a construct of every move has a counter. And every counter has a counter. So every move, there's an equal and opposite reaction. But there are certain things that you never do. And one of those is you never put your palms flat on the canvas because then you're lost. You never stand straight up because then you're lost. And then when you're looking at certain things, you work not against human nature. You work with human nature. When you're talking about this and you're talking about the legal system, you understand each and every move has a counter. And every counter has a count. While it might be small, there are still certain things that you never do. Because understanding the language of law is you avoid certain verbiage. You also avoid opening more doors by asking an open-ended question. And you also never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. These are the things why I always tell people you don't ever volunteer information. But knowing human nature, the way most people have been trained is to explain their actions as a grown-ass person. Those are the things that I say never do. Because those are the things that are detrimental in a legal situation. Because understanding just that, those are the leaving you open for the counters. And even if you're countering and you're too open in your question asking, too open in your statements, too vague in what it is that you're trying to get across, no one catches what it is that you're saying. I've been accused of being too vague. And here's the great part about that. I know I am. There's a reason I'm too vague in a lot of situations. Because if I give you everything at one point, a lot of what's necessary slips through the cracks. The things that you need the most, you don't grasp because it becomes too difficult because it's real finite. But if I leave it open-ended and then I start to give it a compression, you know, my music folks know what I'm talking about, because I give it a little compression, it becomes more clear. It becomes more refined because now video one sounds a hell of a lot different than video 301. Podcast 1 sounds a hell of a lot different than Podcast 101. Because that's what this is. This is giving you law 101, the real law. Because just like um, she said in um, How to Get Away with Murder, I'm not going to teach you the law that's in the books. I'm going to teach you how to practice law in a courtroom and from a vantage point of winning. Is it going to be scary? Absolutely. Am I going to sugarcoat it? Absolutely not. But 
Am I going to make sure you're prepared? Absolutely. Because if you're ready to fight, bite down on your mouthpiece and get ready to go. You have to go in knowing that I'm not losing this. The only way they're going to lose it from lose it if they steal it from me. That's it. That's the only way I'm losing. You got to take it from me. But you're going to take it from me. I'm not going to give it to you. I can't give you anything because you're going to earn every step of it. And even when you're talking about something as simple as a DUI stop and getting your blood drawn, you're challenging if it's a roadblock. Easy challenge. If they took your blood, easy challenge. Were you unconscious? Was there damage? There are so many avenues in which has to be answered that even canned statements won't get you. Because what I want you to understand is the court focused on the case's particular facts and the amount of time that had been taken by the officer in pursuit of his other responsibilities. So I'm using the Jeff Payne situation because it was done horribly wrong. And it's easy to point out the things that was done wrong. And Mitchell, the thing that they did wrong was they attempted to contact him when he was not driving. They attempted to charge him with something for driving. And again, there are a lot of folks that are mischarged. I'm not saying they didn't do something. I'm just saying that they're not they're in there for something that they did not do. There's a lot of people like that. And the great part about this is because it's about revenue. It's not about law. It's about intimidation. It's not about the truth. Because if I told you the truth that a 14, 15 year and 16 year old group of boys did not hurt someone in Central Park. That's not a good narrative. But if I tell you a 23-year-old man committed an act that these 14, 15, 16-year-old boys were accused of, it becomes harder to swallow because someone has already intimidated these boys into saying they did something they didn't do. But we want to treat this 14, 15, 16-year-old as an adult until they do something or it becomes one of our children. But it's more difficult to believe the act itself because of we need to believe and blame somebody first. But the whole thing is nobody stayed focused on the facts because it's not about the truth. And even if a health, safety, or law enforcement need is present, a defendant might still suppress blood alcohol content evidence if he or she can show both that their blood would not have been drawn had the police not been seeking blood alcohol content information and the police could not have really judged that a warrant application would have been interfered with by other pressing needs. Because remember I just told you Mallory V. Briggs they can't make a probable cause determination. That has to be done by a judge. They are encouraged to get a warrant. Their time is spent whenever they actually have to go through and do something. So even on transport, even if they're doing the transport, guess what? 
they can choose the time they do the transport. Because even if a health, safety, or law enforcement need is present, a defendant may still suppress blood alcohol content evidence if he or she can show both that the blood would not have been drawn had the police not been seeking blood alcohol information and the police could not have really judged that a warrant application would have interfered with other pressing needs. These are the things that I talk about when they're forcing you to ID at a DUI stop. If they tell you, oh, I'm going to take you down, I'm going to draw your blood, and I think I actually, that's a Nevada one too. Or they're going to, we're going to sit right here until you have to urinate, we're going to test your urine. No, you're not. Because if you do, I get to tap them pockets. Because that's how a corporation apologizes. And seeing now we're walking into a new era of life where we can actually not only physically challenge them on a means of, I got to tap them pockets, but it's become easier. And then I'm giving you a secondary avenue that has nothing to do with qualified immunity. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm giving you a secondary avenue that has nothing to do with qualified immunity. Yes, I pause for dramatic effect because I want you to understand the context of everything that I'm doing is for you to win. I don't want to give you conjecture. I don't want to just talk. I want to let you know that I'm here for the W. That's all I'm here for. That's all I care about. That's all I live for. I wake up every morning to win, and I'm trying to give you that ability as well. Because in those drunk driving investigations where police officers can really obtain a warrant, before a blood sample can be drawn, the Fourth Amendment mandates that they do so. Again, in those drunk driving investigations where police officers can reasonably obtain a warrant before a blood sample can be drawn, the Fourth Amendment mandates they do so because lower courts must inquire whether in a particular case a warrant could not have been obtained without a reasonable amount of time. Because again, even in this context, the lower courts are forced, once challenged, to do what? Check that time. Because time is the enemy of all of this. Consent is the enemy of all of this. A because here's the, thing, here's the thing, I'm going to give you something because I almost screwed this up. The officer could easily find that there are safety or law enforcement needs present, such as diverting traffic, conducting a field sobriety test, searching the driver's car, interviewing witnesses, or attending to someone harmed by the driver. Note that we talked about crimes right then. Because again, if they're diverting traffic, it's because there has been an accident, damage to personal property. If they're conducting a field sobriety test, generally, that's with consent. Searching the driver's car, that means they have consent or they have a warrant already. Interviewing witnesses, why would you interview a witness unless there was damage to personal property? Or attending to someone harmed by the driver. You remember I talked about the person that was injured. Injured person, 
injured property. Those are the crimes. If there is a crime which probable cause can come from, these are things that can allow the officer to say, you know what, no, nah, I didn't do it. Does that make it okay? No, because you still had a challenge. Now, will you win this in your preliminary hearing? Probably not, because they're yeah, just giving it to you. Yeah, no, nah. they want to see what you got. And that's when you make them show their hand. Because even in Missouri v. McNeely, these are things that often come up and most people never take account of. Because so long as an officer, reasonably judged, or more clinically, is willing to testify that a health, safety, or law enforcement need was present and took priority over warrant application, the officer will be entitled to order a blood draw of a suspect without a warrant. Now, the cross-examination would be the attack on the reason with time and the exigency of that situation. Because, again, we've gone over, what, five different means that need to be available for exigent circumstances? We've also talked about two challenges that we have in just this aspect of it. And then we understand the practice of police committing perjury in order to support a warrantless search after the fact is well documented and persists because of the importance of understanding their scripts and the counters to them. This is where they put their hands on the floor. Remember I told you, when you start involving multiple people, multiple agencies, multiple clients, nobody's going to take that lawsuit for you. They're going to let you take that walk by yourself. Because if you can't be on, and here's the great part, and this is for my police apologists. Just understand this now. Why would they have a script if they're telling the truth? Who needs a script for the truth? That's when you hear these crazy outbursts. Oh, I was in fear for my life. Every cop that takes a shot was, I was in fear for my life. Each and every one of them said the exact same thing, and no one questioned that. But then you, again, you have a script for when you are doing something that violates someone's God-given rights. Why is there a script? And if they're the good guys, why can't they just tell the truth? Don't worry, I'll wait because, yes, I did pause for dramatic effect. Because that's an answer that I would love from a police apologist. Because, again, why is it that there are court cases that say they can't do it? Why? Because it's a document that goes under oath. They are saying it's the truth. Why are they so often not telling the truth if they're good people? Then we need to change the definition of good because the one I have... That doesn't qualify. Let's say that one. The one I have, that doesn't qualify. But even beyond intentional lies, officers sometimes deploy scripts in which they emphasize certain facts or narratives that they know will establish probable cause or reasonable suspicion. But again, they're good people. They're going to lie and rely on a script that they know will allot them the ability to circumvent the law. Will allow them to circumvent their own word of they're going to uphold and defend. Again, 
Not my words. This is actually written into a case. This is actually written into a case. But I'm the problem whenever I ask them to do the right thing. I can ask some high school kid that's making $9 an hour at McDonald's to make sure my fries are hot. But I can't ask a police officer that's making $100,000 plus a year to do their job the right way. Are you kidding me? I'm the problem if I ask you to do what you're supposed to do, not lie, not steal, and not be corrupt. I'm a, I am absolutely a problem if I ask you to not do that. But if I holler at this little high school kid, that's okay. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Is that the America we live in? Is that the America you want? A lying police officer, but you out your, hot, your fries hot. Police officers lie and do whatever they want to do. Because here's the here's the he. Here's the Because I actually, I love this part. There are a lot of people that tell me, oh, what you're doing. What you're doing is going to get you hurt. And I always ask them by who. You know who they tell me? Police. The police going to hurt you. I thought the police were good guys. Why would they hurt me if they're good people? So that lets me know you are consciously knowing that these are bad people. You are okay with bad police. That's what you're telling me. That's exactly what that statement means. Because if they're good people, why would they hurt me? Because, again, I'm telling the truth. Why? Because I'm reading it from a court case. But I'm the problem because I'm reading it from a court case. Because I'm saying what they're doing is wrong. Because I'm correcting a behavior, I'm wrong. I need to go with the flow and just give them whatever they want to get. That sounds like a hostage negotiation. And last time somebody robbed me, they at least had the decency to pull out the pistol and take it from me. I didn't give it to them either. They were like, hey, you get up, bruh, and click, click. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you right. But I'm just supposed to lay down just because you look something. You got on a uniform. Last time somebody had on a cop uniform for me. She was really sexy. That's all I can say to you about that because it didn't go down like that. I've been in handcuffs entirely too much for it to be sexy to me. But I want you to understand something. I cannot give it to you. You got to take it. Just like when they asked me, why won't I have a lawyer defend me for Rico? They were trying to get 40-plus years. on a, That was the deal. The deal was 40-plus, 20 years per count. Now, now, I ain't going to tell you all the counts, but it was 20 per count. That was the deal. The indictment was seven pages long. That was the deal. I want you to understand that that was the deal. 20 years per count. Went down the hall, some rando. This dude killed three random ass people, got 15 years. Say that one more time. A rando went out and killed three people. Down the hall from me, they gave him 15 years. They wanted me to take a deal for 20 years per count. I ain't kill nobody. But that's justice. When ambassadors down there at DeKalb County had their knee in my back, a gun to my head, I'm supposed to just give them what they want. No, I can't do that either. Because they're not giving me what I want. I'm quit pro quo. Yes or no. Because at the end of the day, anything that you're getting should be earned. I can't give you anything. 
Because, one, I am too valuable for anything. If I'm giving you something right now, God bless you. Because last time I checked, I'm one of the most stingy dudes I know. Stingy. There ain't a whole bunch of giving. But what is giving is the fact that I have no qualms with sitting down, looking you in the eye, and giving you an honest answer. Not a problem. I have... Even if you don't agree, I don't ask you to agree with me. Because, again, I ask you to challenge me. Just like I'm going to ask you to go into any courtroom across this country and challenge someone that's trying to take something from you. And I'm going to give you a great, great thing. Because one of the things 50 Cent said to Floyd Mayweather before he went against Victor Ortiz, he told him, he said, you know what? He said, because Floyd was kind of overlooking Victor a little bit. Because he knew that Victor had a suspect ass chin. He knew the chin was soft. 50 told him he's trying to take food from you. He's trying to make sure you don't feed your kids. And then Victor went in and, you know, on cue, headbutted him. Floyd put him to sleep. That's what you need to do. You have to show them something different. Rolling over, laying down, and giving up is not what we do. Don't let them rub your belly. Bite their hand off. Let them know you're not the one that feed me. I feed me. I can stand up for me. I can look you in the eye. That's what this is all about. Because even understanding the metabolic process, these are things that, while simple on its surface, because in United States versus Blackstone, and it's a 1991 case, holding that urine sample testing positive for cocaine could be used as circumstantial evidence in a drug possession case. However, urine samples from a um, BAC or blood alcohol content text is not, I guess, not sufficient in getting you where you need to be at. And that can be challenged. Because even in McNeely, to uphold evidence from a blood draw to those conditions, those are the same things that most people have no idea. Because even the urine can be challenged. And the good faith exception to the warrant requirement. The court did not announce a dramatic departure from the precedent. I gave you the good faith exceptions. And there's eight of them. And the courts didn't do a dramatic departure from them. They simply applied rules from previous cases. So when you understand the exigent circumstances of all of this, you understand what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to do it, when they're supposed to do it, that's when it becomes powerful for you. Because at the end of the day, police without a warrant might collect sensitive personal information about them through blood draws. They have to do what their job requires them to do, and you have to hold them to that standard. Make sure your fries are hot. Because it's one thing I don't like. I don't like cold fries. Depending on how far I am away from the spot, I'll still eat them. But I don't like cold fries. That's all I got for you today. I love you guys. 
Support the podcast, 99 cents a month, $4.99 or $9.99. Don't forget to grab your T-shirt. They're on pre-sale right now for $25 to Supreme Decisions. As well as, don't forget to join the channel, Supreme Decisions on YouTube. Join. There are four tiers. Pick a tier. Each one of the tiers has great prizes. And I love you guys. See you next week. Supreme out. I'm going to show you how great I am.